This is the Lattice Training Podcast, where we bring you the best in climbing performance and training from the world's elite athletes, thought leaders, and coaches. Hello to everyone who has tuned in on the Lattice Training Podcast today. I'm actually in Moab recording this episode, and I'm with Law Saberin, who has just made the second red point ascent of stranger than fiction which arguably is one of the very very hardest cracks in the world and perhaps actually one of the hardest trad routes in the world and the context to this is is that you may have noticed that we've actually interviewed law previously on this podcast when they made a repeat of east coast fist bump a super tricky 514 trad route in the usa but also Law has trained with us at Lattice for a number of years, working with Maddy as their coach. And I thought it'd be really good to get them to sit down with me and talk specifically about what's required and what the journey feels like with a long-term project, because Law worked on this for multiple seasons. And I think it's something that many of you out there may resonate with that Sometimes projects don't happen immediately and they take a month, maybe they take a year, maybe they take three years. So I'm going to try and dive into as much as possible with Law to try and find out how their process went with this route and hopefully all of you will learn something from it and Law gets to share that. But first of all, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks Tom. So Law, first question, can you give a bit of a sort of overview on Stranger Than Fiction itself and the route. What does it involve? What type of climbing is it? How does it break down in terms of the kind of the nuts and bolts of the route? Mm. Yeah, I mean, Stranger is one of the most aesthetic lines that I've ever, like, not only just climbed on, but seen. It's, so it starts out, I've, I've always thought of it and conceptualized it as like almost like breaking it down into pitches because I just think of it as like it helps me conceptualize the different parts so you basically off the ground like kick into a little invert off with boulder problem to get off the ground and then it's like really really steep paddle hands from that boulder problem that it just is so improbable like you would want to undercling it but like it just just anatomically like you can't make it happen and so you end up jamming out what's not a roof and it's also not something that like feels like it should be an angle because that you can jam um you do some really cool knee bar moves and um then kind of like a hero throw at the end for me then you get into an undercling section um and work that and that's probably the easiest section of the climb um, but it's still really steep and powerful, like probably would be the crux on maybe like a 512 plus um, underclaying and the power, like power laybacking route. And then you turn that corner, you get into like a really wild, um, like a really wild boulder problem, but it's cool. You like, that's where I, at least, and Mason who put the route up, take my shoe off and I start jamming my foot, which I tape. Um, do like a, a really big lock off move to a pinky lock and I get to do this like wild little campus throw to a crimp and then bump back into the crack 
Um, and then there's a really sweet head wall of just like enduro paddle hands and finger locks and like some baggy ring locks for me. Um, all the way up to like this really, really what can be heartbreaking red point crux at the top that is like tips locks and I get like a, a lock off on like this wild pinky lock um, to get into a good finger lock and then you actually mantle out which I just love because it's like you know like you actually get to top out the rock climb in a way by doing that and then clip the chains um, again it's just like it's in a beautiful amphitheater like kind of off on its own in Moab and um, I just every time I look at the route I'm like it is so improbable that this route exists and I am like so beyond grateful that I've even had the chance to touch it. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful route, isn't it? Yeah. And as you know, myself and Pete have been trying it for nearly the last month now and me and Pete have been so impressed with the, just the all-encompassing full-on nature of that route. <laughs> this route is not a you can technique your way around it. No. You can't just rest your way up it. It's yeah. it's like a proper sport, hard sport climbers yeah. trad route. It's yeah. just bouldery, literally from the first move off the ground yeah. to the last move on the route, full of totally disappointing rests. <laughs> yeah, totally. And hard cruxes. Yeah. They're not simple, are they? No, they're all, like, I mean, just so intricate. And, like, learning the beta, like, you really, you can't get away with not knowing a certain type of crack move. Like, even, you know, just getting off the ground. Like, if the invert is strenuous for you at all, it's like you're just set up, like, you know, from the ground you're going to be wrecked. And then from there, it's like you really have to know the exact beta and like really intricate footwork and and jamming work throughout each of the cruxes. But then in between the cruxes, it's not easy. So it's like this really cool, like you never really, I mean, just mentally, you don't really get the chance to just like zone out on any, even a single move of climbing. Mm. Like there's very little on the route that's not like mentally in it yeah you you, you got up it recently mm -hmm. november 2023 yeah and i know that this is a a multi-season project for you can you just sort of talk us through where the timeline started and because this route in in mine and pete's opinion is a, a good hard hc i would say compared to other trad routes that we've done around the world so can you give a bit of reference to people listening around what kind of grade were you operating at when you first tried it? Mm -hmm. What was the timeline? Did you do it every season? Did you do twice a year? What did that look like? Yeah. Um, so the first time I ever heard about it was in 2018. And it was after I had done like a 513 first ascent in Flagstaff that was kind of like the longest route I had projected, but it had been a season. And um, and I had gone out with a friend and started to support him on his Off With Invert project. And he and I, I had no idea what I was doing. I like had never climbed something harder than like 5'8 Off With. Oh, and really? like, yeah, and, and so like he was teaching, and he was so cool at Pat, this is Pat, he was um, working on the mechanical ball um, and he, 
got really he got me really psyched about it and start he was like okay you need to go back and do all these easier inverts to work up to it and he kept like when we were out there he was like you know you gotta know how to invert so that you can go out to to um like moab and be able to do stranger than fiction he's like because that's the step up and in a way he was like presenting it to me in my mind as if it was the step up from all systems go like he was like yeah this is the next hardest desert crack yeah and so in my brain i was like oh sweet there's like a next step up to go in finger crack climbing and i just uh, it'll be a really hard finger crack and the only thing i have to do is like learn how to invert off with climb so I had it in my head then that like I wanted to get better at steep crack climbing and I wanted to get stronger. And so I started working, like just started having it in my head then and kind of started to like think about some maybe mini projects. So that was 2018. And then I, the first time I ever tried the route was the spring of 2021. Yeah. And I had just sent Concepcion. Which is a... 8A plus yeah. crack route in, yeah. in, in uh, Indian Creek, or oh, not Indian Creek, sorry, in the Moab area. Totally. Yeah. yeah, I think it's like kind of known to be like a Dean Potter sandbag, but I so like whatever the grade is, it felt yeah. hard for me. It's hard. Uh, yeah. I mean, it took me quite a few sessions. So yeah, totally. It was tricky. And, um, and it was literally that day I went out with my friend Brent, who had also sent, and we just like went and aided on the Bartlett and like just to check it out we were like we should see where it was but it was the end of the season it was getting hot I remember specifically like the sun hit the wall on Concepcion and we like had to leave we were like epicking out there and so we went out to Bartlett because it was in the shade in the afternoon and just checked it out and then left and then went back in the fall of 2021 and did kind of like haphazardly worked it I really wanted to dedicate myself to it, but I was traveling a lot for work, and so I was, like, in and out of Moab, and um, I was top roping on the route, which ended up being, like, a terrible approach to learning it, because it would just, like, it's so steep, so, like, I was always worried about the swings, and I just wasn't getting the right beta that mm. I needed that, like, would end up being my lead beta, so I did have some sessions on it that fall but I really didn't like learn what I needed to learn and so took some steps back to kind of reevaluate I trained for it all winter and was planning to go back in the spring and then just had like several life catastrophes happen and so then I ended up not getting back there that spring taking training again the whole summer and that was when my friend Brittany reached out to me she knew I was super psyched and also knew that I was looking for partners. And so we decided, she was like, hey, if I come to Moab, will you work this route with me? And we decided to start working on it together. And so fall of 2022 was the time that we like really went all in. When I was yeah, up yeah. here all the time, I was like in, I was finishing up an internship for grad school that I had to be in Flagstaff for every once in a while. So I would like drive down there, work for a few days, drive back up. And I was doing that every week, all fall, up in like from September to December. Um, and then trained a little bit over the winter and came, started back in March of 2023. Uh, we had a fall season on it in the spring. Like again, pretty much every week was up here for several days. We tried to be a little bit more balanced about like having 
additional projects, like mini projects. So we did climb around a little bit more, which felt so much better, um, just in terms of balance and like maintaining psych. Then I took the whole summer off. I just basically focused on training and some bouldering and then started again in this fall. And I had two trips, like week-long trips up here this fall. Yeah, so that that's that's quite a, a process, quite a journey, isn't it? I to, know, as I was saying it, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, this is taking me a long time to even just say what I did. Yeah, but I think the thing that's useful about this is that it shows... I mean, I was even interested to watch you go through this process because mm. I think it's it's a really hard thing to go through stuff which takes multiple years because you have so much time to think about the things. There's so many uncontrollables, life factors that happen. Your body changes, you get injuries, you have changes in motivation, you maybe lose climbing partners, you gain climbing partners. Yeah. There's so much stuff that comes up during those very long journeys so I suppose maybe my first question it would be is when you took on this particular project and you you initially tried it and it was kind of comfortably outside of your zone of red point and operation, what was your mindset and a sort of mental approach around going, this is okay to try and what am I focusing on mainly? Is it mainly on learning is it mainly on analysis like wh where did you put yourself at the beginning part of that process yeah well the the interesting piece that I kind of alluded to is like I actually didn't know how hard the route was when I started projecting it I knew it was hard but like I guess I just thought I like I had done some like 14a's that were kind of on that like slash grade like 13d 14a um, and so I was like, oh, this is a, you know, Mason gave it 14 minus. So that's like the next step up. And then when I was working on it, I just was like, well, this must be what the next step up feels like. Yeah. And so I don't know that I had this like moment where I just, you know, had, I was like, yeah, I'm really ready to level up and like try <laughs> something way harder. It was like, I just assumed I was like, well, this is one step from where I was. And I guess it just feels really big. So there was that that I think helped me that I didn't actually feel, I knew I was reaching, I knew mm. the route was really hard, but I didn't have the frame of reference to know that it was like going to be a full level up for me. Mm. So that was one piece. And then I also just, from the beginning, I always had this mindset that like, it's okay if I never send this route because I'm having a blast climbing on it. I think it's the most beautiful rock climb that I've ever touched. And I just, like, want to be, I want to be able to, like, do the moves on this rock climb. Like, I want to feel what it would feel like to be able to climb this. And whether that meant sending it or not really didn't, it genuinely didn't matter to me. Like, I, I sending matters to me. I'm not a climber that just, like, doesn't care about sending. But in this case, I was, like, I know that investing this energy into this rock climb is just going to pull everything forwards in my rock climbing. So I really wasn't worried about, like, like pe I had a few friends kind of, like, ask me early on in the process if I if they thought that it was worth it. And I, I didn't ever really know how to answer that question because I was like, I'm having a blast every single day that I climb on this route. Mm. Like, I definitely had a lot of 
like existential moments away from the rock climb. Like whenever I would go back to Flagstaff, probably every time I went back to Flag, I'm like, what am I doing? Is this the right step? Like, should I be here? Should I be traveling back and forth? But when I was actually on Stranger Than Fiction, like I never had a day when I wasn't just like intensely grateful and stoked out of my mind. And that for me, I was like, it was such a constant, the whole process. And especially at the beginning, I wasn't frustrated. I was just like, this is wild. Like, and I just knew it was going to bring me somewhere where I had never been before. So I think, yeah, I like started out with that mindset and kind of just carried it through. I think it's really interesting that you, you say that stuff about how you, even if something's not achievable or it's really hard or you have a load of uncertainty if you get so much enjoyment out of something that kind of ends up being the the winning factor as such because I definitely see this a lot in you know myself and some of my other friends who climb harder grades and have been on that sort of journey for a long time and then other professional athletes is that people seem to take so much enjoyment even though at the surface people might go oh, it's terribly serious when you go and climb really hard grades and you try these big projects. Honestly, most successful people is not serious all the time. You can see they're getting so much enjoyment, whether it's from learning something new about it or being in that environment or just the pure enjoyment of the challenge of the whole thing. And I think that's a really important element of it because it's hard. It needs to be enjoyable. It's like that playoff, isn't it? Yeah, it totally is. And I think, I mean, there were definitely moments on the rock climb when I, like, I wasn't just hysterically laughing, you know? But, and I mean, and I like I said, there were, like, a ton of times that I felt doubtful about the process. But what really grounded me was, like, yeah, when I was actually rock climbing, I was just having the time of my life. And, like, especially, you know, I think of all the pieces, like, I was reflecting today on all the different people I was out there with, and I was like, yeah, I was... I got to be out here with amazing people in a beautiful place that, like, I would never be out here if I wasn't on this rock climb. And then, like, the movement was just so wild that even when I was just falling off again and again and again, I was, like, delighted to be trying to figure things out. And I was just like, this is so goofy and wild. And, like, how do I get my body to do this? And what do I need to, like, even at the end of seasons when I was, like, how can I figure out like how to do this type of move so I can come back with the ability to like even engage more with it and Mm -hmm. have more fun because I was like this will be really wild once I can like hold this lock off you know like I'll just get to have that much more fun so I I really do think it's like it had to be enjoyable because otherwise like why would you spend this amount of time you know and and it can be silly to talk about sacrifices that you make for your rock climbing because it's like, oh yeah, you like sacrifice so much to be out, but, but you do, you know, you like put a lot aside to be able to come out and do something like this. And you ask a lot of your support systems. And, and so I didn't take that lightly. And like, I didn't, when I was out here, I was like making sure to reflect on like, how do I make sure that this is something that's nourishing? and like Mm. feels really good yeah and when you you say that you were on this for a number of years Mm -hmm. there were obviously like a number of I suppose physical changes that occurred in in your climbing in your body over that period of time from 
climbing at a certain ability and then succeeding at a certain ability when you eventually red pointed the route. What would you say were the main things over that period that changed? Was it everything? Was it a few different things? Hmm. I mean, I think it was a lot of things. Like, I don't think... You know, I mean, the thing that comes to mind first is, like, I definitely had to become a stronger boulderer. And it's actually kind of cool because I had this story about myself as a climber that, like, I was a really good resistance climber, and the moment that something had a hard boulder crux, I just wouldn't be able to do it. And that was, like, just my story of myself as a climber. It was one of the reasons that I, like, feel so comfortable crack climbing. Mm. is because I feel, felt like a lot of times crack climbs, you can kind of, like, technique your way through boulder problems. Or there just aren't boulder problems because you can kind of, like, reach between things in different ways. Um, and as I started climbing harder cracks, I was like, okay, there are definitely boulder problems. But I kind of still was, like, just had this story of, like, oh, I... I I can't boulder. And then when I got on Stranger, I was like, I want to do this route so badly that, like, this can't be a weakness of mine anymore. And I kind of just, like, jumped all feet in to bouldering and, like, got really psyched on bouldering in the gym, but also outside and, like, started choosing boulder projects. And it was so cool to go through that process. And it it took a little bit of blind faith because, like... It came at a time, it's hard when you're like, like I got feedback from other people, you know, like people really celebrate sends that they think are important. And it's easy to say that that's not true. Like, oh, everyone loves you no matter what you do. But it's like, you know, if you send a heart, like a really hard crack and you get like, everyone is like high-fiving you and telling you that it's amazing. And then you like send your boulder project that you worked on for a year and everyone is like, oh yeah, I warmed up on that. <laughs> like you get the feedback that like, this is where I'm important. And this is where like people don't care as much about what I do. And so I really had to be like, okay, but like, what do I care about what I do and what matters to me? And that was a really cool, just like kind of, opportunity for me to unhook kind of achievement from my sense of self-worth in an even because I've already done a lot of work around that but that was like I really had to test it so I definitely became a stronger boulderer and that meant like I mean just I had to really focus on some of the specifics for the route like my one arm strength being able to one arm hang one arm lock offs one arm pull-ups things like that was really like changed drastically Mm. but I think that like working with Maddie like she was so good at breaking it down so that we were able to focus on those specific weaknesses but the entire time like and I think that's what's interesting is people are like what did you do this summer and I'm like it's not what I did this summer it's like I told her when we started working together in 2019 that this was on my life goal list So it's like we started then and she's always done such a great job of like really holding that broader picture of all the different things that I would need. So even, you know, if I was programming for myself, I might be like, oh, I need to like really hone in on bouldering. and I'm just going to boulder. And she was like just really maintained all the pieces that I needed to be able to do a route like this. So, you know, even if I was focused on bouldering, there was still like arcing and other little things to maintain 
that fitness that was needed to be Mm -hmm. able to not just do the boulders, but then like link them together. Um, And so I definitely became a fitter climber as well, even though that was kind of a strength of mine. I had to bring it into a different space where I was able to not just like hang on to the same holds, but be able to do the boulder problems back to back and recover on some pretty shitty rests in between. Yeah, so. I can I can definitely attest to the, qu- the quality of those rests. <laughs> yeah, kind of terrible. Am I right in saying that you went from V8 boulder to V11 boulder in this last year alone? Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah, just in this last season. What do you think was the... What was the catalyst? Because, uh, you know, you, you've worked with Baddy for quite some time, mm-hmm. but you have made this sort of quantum leap this year in particular on that strength bouldering intensity element that goes mm-hmm. into the project. Is there anything that you feel like made a difference for you on that? Or was it just the sort of coming through of everything and the work previously done? Because I'm sure loads of people will be going, well, I'd love to be making that amount of grade increase in a single year. Um, So can you give some kind of context to how that felt for you, that experience? Yeah, I mean, one of the pieces that feels really important to name is that I used to have a job in the climbing industry where I was traveling all the time. And I would get to be in climbing destinations. Like on paper, it looked amazing. It was like, oh, you're in Joshua Tree, and then you're in Red Rock, and then you're in Moab. But in reality, it was like, I'm driving to Joshua Tree, I'm teaching a clinic, I have a half day in between where it like doesn't work out to really align partners because I have like six hours to go out in the middle of the week and then I have to be in Red Rocks the next day and teach a clinic and like I just was never home and I trained hard on the road but I didn't have the time to really dedicate to projects locally and that's like where a lot of my Boulder projects were this year and this year I like I had a job that was local in flag that wasn't a climbing job and like on paper looks way more like oh you're working a nine to five but actually it really enabled me to like fully invest in choosing projects and then working them in a dedicated way and alongside that they were definitely like the other piece was that previous winters and previous summers I had told Maddie, I was like, oh yeah, I want to train, but then like the training always had to coexist around like all these different climbing trips and things that I wanted to do, and I was climbing outside a lot, and and this year I was like, you know what, it actually matters enough to me to be able to come back to Stranger, like I'll do anything, and if you tell me that I can't go outside ever for the entire summer I won't do it like just tell me what I need to do and not in like an I need to send but I was like I'll do anything to be able to like show up to this rock climb ready to go and so I think she was really like she was like okay like we're just gonna really de-emphasize outdoor climbing and it's funny that that ended up like making my bouldering get so much better because it was outdoor boulder problems but I think just like me not like me really dedicating time you know we did a lot of stuff board climbing we did a lot of campusing work and I think she was able to like allow me like one of the things I would write in my training journal a lot was like don't be afraid of getting tired but also like but that wasn't in a way of like you know leave the gym super pumped it was more in a way of like like don't be afraid of your training session route like um I guess, like, I used to 
really think of like, oh, I don't want to like train too much because I want to be fresh for outdoors all the time. And it was kind of a reminder of like, this is where the important work happens. Mm. And maybe one last piece of it was like, I really started to take my training, like the, like I, I approached my training with the intensity that I would approach a red point burn, whatever the session was. I was like, what's the intention of this session? And like, there was one day that my friend kind of called me out on it because I was doing, um, it was like linked boulder circuits and I had set this boulder circuit and it was like my last go. And I just looked at her and I was like, this is the only go that matters today. And I like finished it and I did, and I sent it and I, and she, I got off and I was like almost weeping. I was so excited. And she was like, Lord, you are this excited about your linked boulder circuit workout. And I was like, I just imagine that I'm red pointing Bartlett every time I do this workout. Or, like, that I'm red pointing, like, a boulder project or something that really matters to me. And I think that was, like, a shift mentally in my training that really happened this year. Mm. So, I guess a That's... lot of different things. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting you, you brought that factor up around kind of intention and quality in training sessions there at the end. Because I think that's there's a lot of truth in that when it comes to the results that you see from people when they, they climb and they train. And I think this can sometimes be this disconnect where people are really passionate about their outdoor climbing and their projecting, and they're all in on that thing. But for whatever reason, whether it's that they, they just don't enjoy training as much, or they feel like it's a duty to be able to re- earn the project, or that they just are burned out there and it's just not as much fun anymore, is that when you come to training sessions and you put in a 7 out of 10 effort a 6 out of 10 effort even though technically speaking you're kind of you're grinding as such still when it comes to pushing the envelope and reaching your personal physical limit in that session and then of course seeing change and adaptation because you're playing with that margin of what you're capable of it really matters on the quality that you come into sessions like I, I noticed it particularly with very high level boulderers is the amount of effort that they put into like the absolute best goes and me as a root climber I watch it and go oh I never rest properly enough and I always just go oh, I'll have another go I mean I might as well and and I know that I'm totally shooting myself in the foot because the quality's not there the intention's not there yeah and that's so it's so easy to like miss that quality and intention on like the hard workouts and it's also easy to botch it on like workouts like even arcing right it's easy to like it says two out of ten and it's easy to just be like okay I'm gonna hop on the wall and I'm gonna like you know do whatever like if it's a two out of ten or a five out of ten or something and I'll I you know I'll just like this is just me like zoning out and I would really think even during that I was like okay why am I doing this like I really I'm like letting my body like pump out what it needs to pump out like of my system and I'm letting like my I would like even like visualize like my circulatory system like doing its thing while I was arcing and I feel like I used to be in this space where I kind of was like always in the middle like if I was bouldering I was kind of always in the middle I was like trying but I wasn't really trying and then if I was doing endurance I like didn't really focus on recovering I kind of just like punched the clock and it really makes a difference when you like mentally prepare yourself to be in that space where you're going to need to be on the red point like it's so wild just how much it changed 
how I showed up specifically to Boulder projects with the like just the feeling of like oh yeah this is like I'm just replicating the experience that I had in the gym and I know how to access this space better Mm. um and that alongside like you know just the ability of like building capacity over you know four years of training it's like I had a really different capacity to do some of that high level work than I did when I started that also made a big difference. Yeah, I think that changes a lot in terms of the yeah the the gen the general work capacity, but also the kind of high intensity work capacity versus the low intensity work capacity. Mm-hmm. And I always feel like it's something that I want people to. I don't think it's very obvious when you watch someone climb or train or go through their own training processes that it takes a really long time to build up all those factors. You can't just brute force it you can't go from year one where you can do x amount of load and work and in year two just because you're more motivated and you're more psyched do another one but plus three it's got to be plus one a little step forward and that's why when you stay in a training process for actually quite a long time you do see surprisingly good results from it because as long as you're consistent with it the body does adjust pretty reliably yeah and then you get stuff out the other end you go huh well that that was surprising how well that went (laughs) yeah and it was sweet because I think like even the ways that we set goals for the seasons like I actually didn't set the goal of sending stranger until this season so like the way that we trained the way that Maddie programmed things for me like from the fall in the fall of 2023 Two, I was having a lot of trouble doing the crux, especially consistently, but I did figure out beta that I could do. It was like total limit. And so our entire training essentially for the spring of 2023 was just to be able to be able to do that move consistently. And it was so cool because we said like, we're actually not going to train to be able to like do red points on the whole route. We're going to hope like, like train, you know, train our like fitness enough that we can do like bigger links but it's really like the focus of this training is not to be able to do an entire red point burn because that would take away from being able to like focus on building the strength to do the crux and there's no point of building the fitness for the whole route if you can't do that move Mm. and so it was really cool like we had a whole season of training like several months where I just trained essentially to be able to do that hard move and then came back and I achieved that season goal. Like I, you know, the first couple of sessions, I was able to do that move consistently every time. And I was like, oh my God, like the training worked. <laughs> and and then, you know, I didn't send in the spring of 2023, but I had to remember like that wasn't my goal. And I got actually like really, I think I had a couple of times that I kind of three hung the route. That was probably my best go. And so I was like, wow, I really took it to a place where now I feel like I can set the goal. And so then Maddie and I were able to readjust. We're like, okay, now we're going to focus on maintaining that strength, building some other like specific bouldering strength for the beginning, which is steeper, which kind of led to that investment in the roof bouldering. And then from there, we're like really going to focus on building the fitness for the whole route. So it was like each season we had a different emphasis for the training and being able to play the long game like that, it really allowed us to get specific rather than 
saying every season, like, I just want to send this season. I just want to send this season. I think that actually would have kept me from, like, doing those really nice building blocks. And working with Maddie, you know, she lives in the UK, mm-hmm. over, over in Sheffield, where, where we're based, and you live over here in the USA, mm-hmm. and Maddie's not able to be at the crag with you and, and be with you and, and, you know, watch you have attempts on the routes. How did you go from season to season to kind of actually work out what matters and how you, you know, analyse your process and journey within that training with Maddie in a, in a remote sense? Yeah, I think it's a it's a sort of interesting factor within the puzzle, isn't it? Because yeah. there's that physical difference between coach UK, mm-hmm. athlete USA. How does that actually look? Yeah, it's a lot of like self-reflection and reflection for me with a climbing partner to then be able to process and distill into words and share with Maddie. So I did a lot of like analyzing of the movement and I really would, I would like videotape myself just with my phone in my shoe and I would upload my goes to YouTube so that she could watch them. And um, I was like, oh, Maddie and my mom are like the only people that watch my like YouTube channel that's just my phone in my shoe footage of me like falling off the crux 10 times and then like sticking it once and being like, oh, do you see the micro difference in this one time I stuck it? Um, but so I would write after every session, I'd be like, okay, this is like, this was the movement pattern that I was trying to do. And these are all the things involved. And then this is where it broke down. And I would like distill all of that and then share it with Maddie. And then, so she like, and I could just feel like her investment in it. Cause she would be like, oh, that's so cool. And like, I'm hearing this, this, and this. And then I could see her like working that into the plan, but even just in how she would talk me through it during the season, um, And Maddie was so great at, like, my tendency as an athlete is to come in and be like, okay, so I, like, had this trouble locking off this move, and so I need to, like, go do just, like, every day I'm going to train one-arm lock-offs, like, like, for the next six months. And she she has the gentlest way of being like, that is an option. (laughs) And it's like, I think that's really great. And my favorite phrase, I don't exactly remember what she would say, but she would be like, how about we hold off on that? Like, we just won't... That's a great option for the future. Let's not do that now. So it was, like, very inviting. She was like, yeah, that's great. We just... We're not going to do that this time. And, like, so she would kind of, like, help me reality check all the, like, harebrained ideas I had that were going to just, like, dig me into a hole of overtraining. And she would, like, look at all of the movement patterns that I would distill down and talk to her about. And so I'd send her clips, and then I would write about it, and I'd be like, this seems like what's going well with the movement. This is what's hard. And we would talk about the difference between, like, what's a strength thing or what's something I need to train and what's more of, like, a technique thing. Like, is the reason you're falling off because you don't have enough lock-off strength or is it because you're taking 20 seconds to set up for it? And by the time you've set up for it, like your jam has slid out and you're all like wonky. And and so maybe it's actually like training for some of the preparation moves. Um, and so we just like we would really break it down together and talk it through. And I would try things out and then I'd come back and tell her about it. Mm. Um, so it's very collaborative, even though it was remote. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to hear that you, you did it in that way and you were still able to, yeah, kind of share what mattered and 
do the video stuff and have a look at those and break down each individual part to to yeah what what actually makes a difference to the route because it is a very distinct set of puzzle pieces within that that route because there's so much involved with it all the way from strategy of one foot off and just a tape foot <laughs> to how long do you spend on the rest to how do you break down the individual sections in terms of pacing and the different techniques and kind of uh, uh, what's the word um, sequences that you use on each part and it's, it's, it's super complicated yeah root with it yeah so there's a lot to understand at a distance mm-hmm. but it's nice to hear that, that that worked really well for you yeah and actually it kind of felt nice to have someone who could take a bird's eye view of the whole process and maybe like was removed enough like I could feel so much support from Maddie but also, like, she wasn't here. And so she could say, like, hey, I know that it seems like you want to, like, get off of work at 9 p.m. on Friday and start driving up to Moab and just to, like, get one more burn on it than you would have otherwise. And she's like, but maybe just wait and go up and have a really quality burn on Sunday. And, like, she would just be able or, like, at the end of a season like when I would be like I don't know if I should go back and like I don't know what to do or even the beginning of this season I was like really struggling with I had trained all summer for it but then I didn't have like a set partner to go up here with this season and I was like Maddie maybe I should just pick a local project and not even go up to Moab this season and I wasn't gonna come up here and she was just like you know I think you need to at least go up there. Like, I think you need to just see before you write it off. And so to have someone that was invested, but also could really take an objective look at it and give me, like, that kind of perspective that someone who was standing under the route with me, like, emotionally might not be able to provide that, it was really helpful and it felt so supportive. Mm. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, Maddie is definitely a bit of a a super coach and we we've seen her time and time again produce really good results in terms of training plans and and everything of that but obviously a big part of the equation is that it is the the climber doing the hard work on one side and they've got to turn up every single week and do that and do it consistently and then you have that coach work that goes in terms of the planning and the support and everything of that but then I also think there's this other interesting part of the equation around life stuff, which is, is extraneous to even that itself. And things happen that you can never quite plan for and you have to deal with them the, on the fly. And you've had a few years of doing this route, so stuff like that must have cropped up. So can you tell me a little bit about how you either mentally process or prepare for those changes in circumstance or the uncertainty around how you control those things if you have got this thing that you definitely want to work towards yeah that has been really hard I think for me because when I started working on it I was like working 100% in the climbing industry and also working 100% remote living in a vehicle where it made total sense to just, like, be in Moab for the season. Um, And I also wasn't doing well in that lifestyle. Mm. Like, it was, like, all the things that you want, and it was just, like, 
not what I needed. I really needed to like put down some roots. I really needed a community. I needed to feel like safe and grounded. And so I was like living this dream and it wasn't really leading me towards being able to like be a climber that could climb on this route. And I could feel that even. And I was like, oh, I'm not, this route isn't going to be a route that I'm going to be able to just like camp under in a vehicle and just like siege until I send. And that was kind of a reckoning for me, but it was actually really inspiring to be like, okay, well, like if this is going to, like one of the things that I said to myself the whole time I was working on it was like, there is nothing that you can do to like hack the sustainability of the approach that you take. Like this is going to be such a long-term thing that like, no quick fix thing or no like thing that isn't sustainable is going to work for this mm, process. That's a good, interesting way of viewing it. Yeah, it was really special because it really inspired me to say like, I'm not going to abandon this thing, even though there were many messages sent to Maddie where I was like, do you think I should just, and she was <laughs> like, no, you should go to your project. <laughs> and, um, but I knew like in the, you know, I knew in my heart that I like was not going to stop rock climbing on this until I like, either sent or just like couldn't rock climb on it anymore you know I was like at some point I will like turn a certain age where I will peak in my climbing and I like maybe it will be when I'm like 70 I'll have to stop rock climbing on this but if I don't send until I'm 70 like I'll just keep trying and um but I you know I really had to take this approach of like other things in life are gonna matter during this process um you know I like finished I started working on it in one of like early on when I was in grad school to become a therapist and like there was a moment when I was graduating and applying for jobs when I was like wait is this job gonna like take away from from my Bartlett wash season and I had to be like and what if it does yeah you know it's like I'll still be creative and find ways to get out there and I'll just enjoy every like I'll each day will matter that much more because I'll know that like I really made it a point to be out here and I like really set aside time to be out here and then you know there were other pieces like um when I started like it was my dad had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's but it was really early on in the process and he was still living really independently and now we're like in the end stages of caring for him and it's like he needs around the clock care and that's really taxing on my family and like I need to be out there and it would have you know there was one I've been going out every six weeks and there was one six week period this fall where my mom really like she sat down with me and was like Laura you need to you need to stay in Moab and like do your thing and then as soon as you're done you can come back here but she was like, but this matters so much. And it like matters so much to me to see how lit up you are around it. She's like, we'll be okay. But like that, even saying that, it like brings tears to my eyes because I'm like, oh my gosh, like it just felt so loving and caring. But I also like, I have a really finite amount of time left with my dad. And so I really, when I was out here, I was like, I don't owe it to him to send, but I definitely owe it to like my whole family to not treat this like some kind of burden mm. you know like I owe it to them to like be out here like getting what like getting that light from this process and um and then like I'll go back next week and I'm so and like I, that like has lit me up to really be there with them 
um and you know just other like other things even like I took some time away from work to be up here and I like take time away from my partner and uh, like who doesn't always want to be out like camping underneath one rock climb in the desert so I've had to really learn how to like all of those things I had to not abandon a hundred percent while I was working this but then I also had to know when it was okay to like invest in something that I really loved and then kind of like it felt like investing in myself and I think that that was why like what like a really sweet purpose that it served the whole time was like just that it was a place where I went to take care of myself and it was like a lot of people have all kinds of different spaces that they set aside for that and this was mine and so that in itself made it something like when I came out here, I had already, like, accomplished the goal of, like, setting aside a space for myself, and then what I actually did performance-wise on the route, like, that wasn't what I had set that time aside for, but it just kind of naturally led me there because I felt like such a better balanced athlete than I Mm -hmm. did when I started the process. Do you think that your work as a therapist has positively impacted your climbing and if so how do you think that that has affected it yeah definitely like I think specifically so my like kind of focus in therapy is like neurobiological approaches to trauma treatment um so I do a ton of work around the nervous system and kind of our like like somatic processing of stress so like how stress is processed in the body and that can be trauma and like specifically the population that I work with like um I work with people who've experienced interpersonal violence so mostly people who've experienced domestic violence and sexual assault but also other forms of abuse and neglect and so in those instances there's a lot of like really a processing of like really acute stress Um, that's impacted the nervous system in these really intense ways. But part of the work that I do is, like, we're always being asked to be practicing these techniques on ourselves, both to be able to, like, show up really well for our clients, but also just, like, we need to understand how stress is impacting us, like, and how we, like, the techniques that we're using for our clients, like, we need to understand how they work in our own bodies. So I've had to do a ton of work learning how to work with my nervous system and like learning about how to track when I'm experiencing regulation and when I'm dysregulated and like how to process activation in my nervous system. And so even like on my red point of Bartlett, I was up there and I was like at the rest and I was orienting like I was like remembering to use my five senses and like let my eyes wander and see where they wanted to go and like. I felt like I knew when to move because I could tell when, like, my body had settled. Mm. And I've never, like, a few years ago, I it was all in my head. Mm. Like, even though I had done a lot of mental training work, it was, like, I knew how to control my thoughts and I knew how to offer self-compassion and, like, those types of things. But now as a therapist, like, I spend so much time tracking my own nervous system and knowing how that impacts others that when I'm climbing, I, like, really naturally go into that space 
And it's like, oh yeah, like our nervous system is a huge part of being an athlete. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think understanding it on such an intimate level. And then it also just gives me a space where I'm like, when I was working in the climbing industry all the time, it was like everything was about climbing. And working as a therapist, it's like I go to work and I'm so in it and it's like not about climbing. And it was actually really funny, like the day after I sent, I was went to work and I told my supervisor about, I was like, yeah, I finished my three-year project. And she was just like, oh my gosh, that's so exciting. Three years is a long time to work on a project. And she had, like is not a rock climber. And so like the only thing in there that like stood out to her, she was like, you spent three years doing something. And then we like went on and did work, you know, and mm-hmm. it was like, and I work with a lot of teenagers and like to them, when I bring up rock climbing, they're like, oh my God, that's the nerdiest thing in the world. Like they do <laughs> not think it's cool, you know? And and so it just like gives me a space to be a human who's doing totally different things. And I think that not that I like needed that separation, but it really recharges my climbing when I do go climbing. So I think both like understanding my own kind of like emotional well-being and like my own nervous system but then also just having a space where I'm like doing other work has really positively influenced my climbing in a way that I didn't expect it to hmm that's super interesting yeah yeah and I think a lot of people will and you probably even not had this asked to you already when you when you do a hard project I've had the same multiple times over the years and people always go to you what's next and honestly I'm like that question sucks (laughs) I kind of hate this question Um, so I for me personally what I want to be asked on this question is I want to be asked what are you taking from this experience to your next so what are you taking from this project into whatever you do next in climbing Mm. There are so many things because I'm such a different rock climber than when I started. But like, I think one of the takeaways that really stands out to me is like this embodied confidence in like, I just feel like when I started working on Stranger, I was in a state of like, basically like constantly apologizing to the world for like the body and the existence that I had. And, like, or just, like, I was really into, like, I can even remember just, like, I loved the phrase, like, you're enough. Like, which just is funny when I think about it, because it's, like, I'm enough? Like, it kind of sounds like C's get degrees kind of thing. You're, like, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. like, you're fine. And it meant so much to me to just be, like, fine or allowed to exist. And I was so, like, unable to take up space. And Bartlett kind of gave me the permission almost by accident, right? Because I didn't even know how hard it was, but like to take on a goal that to me, if I had known the grade at the time or like known how hard it was going to be when I started, it would have felt really bold and really presumptuous. Like I would have been like, what am I doing on this thing? But then I got into it and it was like, it was just so joyful. And I just like kept learning more about what my body could do And it's just left me with this curiosity and this kind of, like, unapologetic desire to, like, try things that, not not really even that scare me, but just that, like, 
feel a little out there to be like, yeah, I am going to go try that. Or like, yeah, I am going to like invest in myself or I am going to ask for that. Like, like I've just become a different person and how I set boundaries around what I need, how I ask for what I need, how I build relationships to like not feel like I'm like sneaky stepping my way into my rock climbing, but I'm being like really intentional and that I'm selecting things that like actually make me go, wow, you know? And so I guess when I'm like looking for something next to do with my rock climbing, it's like looking for that curiosity and that like the the feeling of like my eyes getting bigger when I look at something, whether that's like the actual objective or it's just like the experience that I think I might have. Um, it's just made me less afraid. Like I just, I feel like I'm a foot taller when I go rock climbing, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so amazing to hear. It's always, oh, it's just always so nice chatting to you about the, I suppose the, how would I phrase it? Just, I think you're really good at living and experiencing and being grateful for every part of climbing, all parts of the process. And I think that's a really unique thing. And I always want to kind of get parts of your behavior and I want to kind of like embed them in other people because whenever I chat to you about climbing and I, watch you climb and you know talk to you about it it always just seems so good (laughs) basically that's the word I want to use (laughs) like this is great you're so consistent with it and I think that really shows that it's a very healthy approach to take Mm. um and one that I'm sure if more people could take those little elements and start to kind of Mm. practice those themselves they would get a lot out of their climbing and they would be in it for you know all of their lives and get so much enjoyment out of their climbing so I hope that people listening hear that from you and then also hear that from me going I know law pretty well and this is definitely a brilliant thing and and I think it's uh, really really amazing so yeah really cool well I'm gonna let you probably go and eat some dinner or get on the road because I know you've been filming today and um, you've swung by the house here to come and film this podcast which I'm really grateful for for taking time out of your schedule and everything like that uh, to come and chat mm-hmm. projects and training and climbing and everything like that and you know as ever it's just such a joy to chat to you and, and go through all this stuff it's, it's awesome oh thanks so much for taking the time Tom it's been so fun <laughs> Yeah. It's like, this is like the best thing to talk about, right? Yeah, yeah, it definitely like, is. You just wanted like, you're like, I get to talk about my project for an hour? Like, <laughs> hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's awesome. Well, um, I'm sure I'll see you again pretty soon when I'm back out in the States for the next trip. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thank you.